0: welcome 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 to the hoagie hangover podcast i am andrew alex from espn blacksburg i am joined today by my good friend in the 757 ricky leblue ricky what's going
1: on where in the hell is mike mcdaniel i
0: honestly couldn't tell you he says (laughs) that's the only
1: question i have as we open up this pod in which virginia tech played clemson mike mcdaniel is nowhere to be found and I'm feeling some type of way about it. It's definitely a result that
0: was, I mean, I don't think many people thought Virginia Tech was going to win. The game played out maybe a little bit differently than people would have thought. Some positives, obviously a good amount of negatives, and we will get to it all in just one Second, but first, I got to tell the folks at home that this podcast is made possible by our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you. So if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about your healthcare outcomes, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, Ricky, let's get it started. The Hokies fall 45 to 10 at the hands of number three, Clemson. Virginia Tech able to hang in the game for about two and a half quarters before the wheels really started to fall off. If you told me beforehand that this was going to be a 35-point Clemson victory, I would have said you are probably right. I just would not have thought it would have happened in the way that it did. I kind of was thinking, you know, a Trevor Lawrence dominating performance. He's out by halftime, and the Hokies score their points in garbage time. That wasn't really the case. So I'm going to ask you first, compared to what you expected going into the game, how did this game stack up? How did the Hokies perform?
1: I think Saturday night's game was more frustrating than it would have been if they had just gone out there and gotten blown out from start to finish. Um, Clemson did not play particularly well in this game. If you actually go back and look at their offense, um, especially for the first three quarters, they were very stagnant. Trevor Lawrence made some really bad decisions. Uh, He had some throws that were really off. They could not get a ton of separation on the outside. The running game was very meh. They, they, They were not moving the ball with the efficiency that we've become accustomed to seeing Clemson move the ball. So that was one thing. Also, Virginia Tech was able to find some some holes in the Tigers' defense in the early portion of this game, and they were able to run the ball a little bit. And for a moment you thought maybe Tech just caught them on a bad night, and if, if the Hokies can play at something close to the level we saw them play at earlier in the season, they have a chance to keep this a game going into the fourth quarter. But as we saw for a variety of reasons, Virginia Tech – just made way too many mistakes in order to to win this game um i came away from it thinking that even though clemson did win this game by 35 points virginia tech should have kept this closer uh but as i noted in my column that i published today on ricky bad teams find ways to lose games they just do and virginia tech found plenty of ways to do that in this one
0: I said during the game, especially early on, when Virginia Tech, they they were rolling. And even when Hendon Hooker came out, Braxton Burmeister played admirably. But it seemed that at every step of the way, Virginia Tech managed to shoot themselves in the foot, per se, and essentially do almost everything that they needed to do to maybe take an early lead. And I know they had a lead early, but they they would have been able to keep pace with Clemson better. And eventually it was time for Cinderella to come home from the ball. A lot of penalties, a lot of mistakes. Point out the ones that really stuck out to you. And and importantly, who's to blame?
1: Well, there's plenty of blame to go around. Um, We'll start with the coaching staff. I thought the initial game plan was spot on, actually. Um, Virginia Tech tried to shorten the game. Uh, We saw that from the start. They were staying in the huddle longer. They were running clock, basically, on offense, um, trying to keep the clock moving as long as possible. And the first half went by pretty fast. And that was by design. Virginia Tech wanted that. They wanted to give Clemson as few opportunities as possible to score given the talent that they have on that side of the football and the deficiencies that Tech has on defense. Um, the problem is, is that what we saw from Virginia Tech early on, which was plenty of play action, uh, plenty of misdirection, um, Cornelson spicing up the, the, play, the, the play calling a little bit, it all went away, all of it. Virginia Tech reverted back to the same type of offense we've seen them revert to um, for most of the season, which is heavy read option, heavy quarterback power, heavy run, very little creativity in the passing game, uh, very few chances taken downfield. And as a result, Virginia Tech's offense went in a box um, for the second half of this game. And that's aggravating. Uh, to watch because you you saw what Virginia tech was able to do early on and they just completely went away from it. It, it, At least that, that was my observation. So the coaching staff on offense certainly deserves some of the blame because they went away from what was working defensively. They got off to a pretty good start. And then as the game went on, uh, specifically going into the third, into the fourth quarter, they made no adjustments to counter what Clemson was doing. Clemson ran away from them in this game. Clemson scores the last uh, four touch—excuse me, five um, five touchdowns in this game. Thirty-five unanswered for for Clemson. Um, Justin Hamilton had a good idea of what he was doing from the start, and he was outcoached in this game uh, by Tony Elliott and and the Clemson staff. And so that was frustrating as well. But there's plenty of blame to go around, like I mentioned. The players um, – this is this is kind of a, a trope that I'm seeing on, on social media that's getting kind of aggravating. And, Andrew, I'd like to hear what you say, have to say about it. But there's this uh, gut reaction to blame everything that's going on with Virginia Tech football and the coaches, and that's just crap. Um, the, the players – even though at times they have played um, especially hard and have fought especially hard and have have showed resilience, they hold plenty of blame for Virginia Tech's poor season thus far. And this game was no different. Brock Hoffman, who's a leader on this team, someone who has become a vocal leader, uh, really the the vocal leader of that offensive line picks up two boneheaded – stupid 15-yard penalties. One was especially worse. Um, the, the, the 15-yarder on the late hit after Braxton Burmeister had a quarterback keeper that netted maybe three or four yards, and then Brock Hoffman uh, just basically falls on a Clemson player and, and costs Virginia Tech a chance to kick a field goal. Armani Chapman uh, just flat-out dropped what should have been the easiest interception of his life. Uh, That would have been massive. Um, Braxton Burmeister fumbled a quarterback keeper immediately after Virginia Tech picked off Trevor Lawrence in the end zone to keep points from going up on the board. And Hendon Hooker fumbled a snap that basically opened up the floodgates as Darion Kendrick scooped it and scored a touchdown. So all of these, these mistakes, whether they be mental or physical, the players ha- have plenty to look back on themselves and look at what they could have done better. It's not just a coaching issue. I'll look at it in a couple of
0: ways, right? First of all, let's acknowledge that to beat a team like Clemson, if you're Virginia Tech, where the vast majority of their players are just simply better, more talented athletes than the vast majority of Virginia Tech's players. I mean, that's not necessarily a slight to Virginia Tech's players. It's Clemson. I mean, they also do this not to the
1: news, right? Like everyone knows
0: that yeah exactly so to pull off an upset in college football you need a a combination of to some extent luck and you can't make those kind of mistakes and at the end of the day it's not justin fuente's fault that brock hoffman kills drives with penalties
1: unnecessarily inexplicable penalties i mean like yeah these are things that you cannot do like I'm I'm much more willing to to forgive someone like Armani Chapman for dropping an interception because look folks there's a reason he plays defensive back right if he had his super reliable hands he's athletic enough he'd probably probably be playing receiver um, but defensive backs drop interceptions that happens you know but for someone like Brock Hoffman who has been in college football long enough for him to commit those two 15 yard penalties specifically the the late hit after the Burmeister carry, it's just dumb, man. It's so dumb. And for someone who is supposed to be holding a leadership position, you flat out cannot do that in these types of situations. It's very similar to what we saw from Jared Hewitt earlier this year, where Hewitt was was flagged for a 15-yarder and then absolutely threw a tantrum and was ejected from the game ejected from the sideline because he was acting like a 12-year-old who didn't get his way, those kinds of things are not excusable. And we saw Virginia Tech bench Brock Hoffman temporarily, and then after the second 15-yard penalty, they benched him for the remainder of the game. Um, I would assume he's going to get back onto the field against Virginia, but uh, those types of mistakes cannot happen, whether you're playing Clemson or whether you're playing Western Carolina. It doesn't matter. Quite simply, whether it be,
0: you know, the mental mistakes being the penalties, or you know, the fumbles, and like you said, I you can't hold that against Armani Chapman because, like you said, I mean, it's a pick. That stuff happens all the time. Those are those are
1: physical mistakes. Those are physical errors, right? So, like in baseball, we talk about all the time, guys have physical errors, and those are going to happen. Like you're you're just going to miss a throw from third base to first base, or you're going to misread a fly ball in the outfield. But if you just flat out forget how many outs there are, or you forget to go or where to go with the baseball in a particular situation, those are mental errors. And those are the ones that aren't acceptable. And Brock Hoffman specifically was a mental error. And I think it's fair to say that the, um, the fumble from Burmeister and especially the, the, the fumbled snap from Hendon Hooker, those are mental errors. You have to, to make sure those things are locked up tight.
0: Notably the one from Hooker there and college football in general playing it at a high level it is a huge commitment for these players, right? And you have to wonder to the degree that the season has spiraled downward, right? And with all the negativity surrounding the program from the voices on the outside, the lack of results on the field, it kind of felt like in that second half, you were watching a team that just mentally kind of checked out. And that's where you see a mental error with the fumble, where you see Brock Hoffman allowing his emotions to get the best of him. It just simply wasn't disciplined football. And in that second half, watching the wheels fall off after a hot start almost seemed to be a symbolic reflection
1: of the season to this point right it's also a symbolic reflection of Justin Fuente's tenure i mean yeah. go back and look at the first two seasons and you it was damn near impossible to find somebody who didn't think Justin Fuente was doing a really good job he had won 19 games in two years he won the ACC Coastal in year one coached a really um deficient and injured team in 2017 to nine wins uh i mean things were looking up for for virginia tech and that's kind of how this game started from from the top i mean tech was was punching up well above their weight class against clemson and they were hanging tough and then all of a sudden just things blew up and um it's it's really hard to watch because if Virginia Tech had just gone out there and got beat from start to finish, that would have been understandable because Clemson's that far and above than everybody. But Clemson did not play all that great of a game. I mean, they they opened it up in the second half, but for the first two-and-a-half quarters, they were very mediocre relative to Clemson's standard. They were definitely beatable. Um, and Virginia Tech not only missed opportunities to – to put themselves out in front or to, or to stay tied. They just flat out stepped on a rake on way too many occasions. I, I would not have
0: wanted to been, in that Clemson locker room at halftime for the ass chewing. Those dudes probably received from Dabo swing. I mean, they gave Virginia tech an opportunity to hang in the game. I mean, and to Virginia tech's credit, they played well. And I think the defense, you know, notably guys like divine Diablo and other dudes in that backfield, they played particularly well. Trevor Lawrence didn't look like a superhuman out there. That was probably Trevor Lawrence's arguably worst game of the season. And, you want to give the defense credit, right? Because you can chalk up some of the points at the way end to garbage time, right? But Clemson gets seven from the 66-yard fumble recovery. You have the turnover on your own side of the field of your Virginia Tech that allows Clemson to get like a 12-yard drive. That is deflating for a defense that was out there playing at 100 miles an hour, which is why when you go into that fourth quarter and suddenly the game looks a little bit out of reach – those garbage time points are more likely to pile up when you're facing a superior team like Clemson, but it's a shame because the defense played some encouraging football for for about two and a half quarters.
1: Yeah. And some people are going to use that as justification that Justin Hamilton has, Figured it out, which just blows my mind.
0: If you think Justin Hamilton has it all figured out, go back in the time machine two weeks to Hinesfield. Uh, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh.
1: I was going to say like, we have seen this dog and pony show before with his defense where they come out to a decent start and then the wheels just fall off. Um, I, I don't think that Hamilton has figured out the in game adjustments all that well. Um, I think that's pretty clear. Brad Cornelson hasn't done that. Uh, we've had a lot more. Opportunities to 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 watch him struggle in in post halftime situations than Justin Hamilton, but uh, Virginia Tech was definitely out coached in this game, particularly in the second half, and they were outplayed uh, in, in the second half as well. And um, it 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 just goes to show that Virginia Tech is they they've got some some tools right, like they have some qualities about them that are redeemable but they are not playing larger than the sum of their parts they're playing less than the sum of their parts and to me that goes directly to coaching uh, team and player leadership and culture um, all of which are very very uh, loosely related to x's and o's I want to look at the
0: end of half clock management because that's something that's controversy for those of you that might not remember Virginia tech has the ball with about a minute and like six seconds to go. Fuente chooses to run the clock down. Clear Herbert breaks up a big run, sets up the Hail Mary and Virginia tech ends up just short. That would have tied the game going into halftime. Now, I understand Justin Fuente's logic. Clemson, on their previous drive, had just gashed it down the throat of the Virginia Tech defense. They also had all three timeouts, so if your drive doesn't work, Clemson has the opportunity to get the ball back. That being said, Virginia Tech, in a game that you're going to need to have the stars align in order for you to win— Taking the, the conservative approach there, does that seem like the right decision to me? What was your take?
1: What kind of message does it send to your guys when you're basically punting on 55 seconds and three timeouts? What kind of message does that send? It says you don't believe in them, but hasn't
0: that been the message all year when it comes to this offense? You don't believe in your personnel to move the ball down the field,
1: well that and they don't believe in the defense either to get a stop right so it to me that's what that that's what those decisions said to me was that virginia tech did not believe in their players to execute a a, a short um under two minutes situation on offense or on defense um you can't send that type of message to your players consistently like that's I know that that Justin Fuente generally plays these types of situations pretty conservatively. He very rarely goes balls to the wall uh, in in under two minutes. But when you're playing the number three team in the country and you're right there, you've got to take some chances to go win football games. And to me, that's not like chasing points because you you never want to chase points too early. But to me, that's not chasing points taking advantage of the three timeouts that you've saved and the 55 seconds left on the clock, to me, that's just basic coaching. Now, I'm not a football coach. I've never been a football coach. I will most likely never be one. But as an observer of the program, to me, that that, that felt very, very small time to me. It, it almost felt like Fuente was coaching scared in that moment. And um, that was probably kind of the beginning of the end of of Tech's run to to dethrone Clemson here, um, it was just it was super deflating. You, you could almost feel the the wind from Virginia Tech sails just go right out the door, uh, and from that point on, Clemson dominated the game.
0: Ricky, I want to talk about the quarterback situation real quick. First, we'll talk about the job that oh, – I wouldn't even say the job that Hendon Hooker did, but the situation surrounding Hendon Hooker. Then we can talk about Burmeister, and we can talk about a player that – let's be frank, folks. We did not expect to talk about him playing in a live game situation. That would be Knox Kadem. So Hendon Hooker, he goes in, gets pulled out the first drive after dropping a snap, didn't hold the huddle well. Ultimately, it pulls from the game – due to, I guess they were saying it was being cold. Now, granted, I I wasn't in the press conference today, so I don't really know how this story has evolved or if any new information has come out, but there have been speculation of whether maybe it was a serious health thing, maybe he had a panic attack, who knows. What do you make of this Hendon Hooker situation? Because this is, quite frankly, a player being pulled for being cold is, is a new one. I have never heard that before.
1: Neither have I, and so let's go back to when this was happening. So I'm I'm watching the game with a couple friends of mine, and um, I see Hendon almost convulsing on the sidelines, and this was this was after he had been taken out the second time. So he was taken out the first time. the The reasoning then was he dropped the snap, and apparently he was pulling the offense out of the huddle too early, and that was not what the game plan was going in. The game plan was that we're going to run the huddle down. They're going to run the play clock to zero every play to keep the clock moving. That's fine. I get it. I don't really have a problem with that. So they go to Braxton. Braxton has some moderate success on offense, so the coaching staff said, screw it. We're going to keep Braxton in. Things are working. They plan on going back to Hendon later in the game, and they do, and he fumbles snap. So the camera goes back to Hendon, and by that point, I'm wondering what the hell's going on because Hendon just dropped. He's basically convulsing. It, it, he's having these these shakes on the sideline. And, and if you don't if you don't didn't see them live, go back and look at the 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 tape of the game on ESPN. He was he was con- almost like he was involuntarily convulsing on the sideline, like he was having some sort of spasm or he was about to throw up, he was going to be sick or something. And they ended up taking him into the locker room. And when they did take him into the locker room, you got a brief glimpse of inside and you could see that he was still doing it while he was walking in there. He was still bobbing back and forth. Like he was writhing in pain and it looked pretty serious. Um, And then we, yeah. And then we find out in the, in the post game presser, that the trainer told Justin Fuente that Hendon Hooker was cold. And I'm not going to lie, my first reaction was, what the hell does that mean? Like, you're telling me a player got, is saying he can't play because he's cold? That sounds ridiculous. So Sunday rolls around, and uh, Mike Niziolik, who is the Roanoke Times beat writer covering Virginia Tech football, talks to Hendon's dad. And Hendon's dad says that um, he was having muscle spasms because of the cold. I have talked to some, I mean, not medical experts, because I just haven't, Um, but people who I believe in, who have been around football, college football long enough, they say that um, in situations where someone is sick or if someone has a fever, apparently extreme cold can cause muscle spasms. So I'm not going to discount that. I'll, I'll go ahead and take it for what it's worth and give Hendon Hooker the benefit of the doubt. I would be shocked if Hendon Hooker basically quit on a game because it was cold outside. I don't think that that would ever happen. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take that at face value. Uh, if that's the case, then Hendon, he better warm up for next weekend because it's supposed to be pretty damn cold in Blacksburg again, and it's going to be a night game. Um, but... It was one hell of a situation, man, because you've got Hendon Hooker, who I still believe is the best quarterback on this roster. He was not playing smart football, dropping the snap, and, and not executing the game plan. Braxton Burmeister goes in and has a decent little run, and then he gets hurt. And then guess who's out there at quarterback, folks? Knox Catum, baby. The former James Madison commit who didn't really, didn't initially have a Virginia Tech offer. And then the only reason that he ended up getting a Virginia Tech offer was because Henan Hooker entered himself into the portal a couple of years ago. Um, and it was, it was a hell of a situation. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, Kadem didn't blow up, which is, I think, as better as anyone could have expected. I got to give credit to Katem because, I mean, w-
0: one of my really good friends is uh, Chase Muma, who was basically Knox Katem before Knox Katem. He was the scout team quarterback, fourth on the roster. You don't really ever expect to play. And between even with the transfer of Quincy Patterson, when you're number three, the third string quarterback doesn't expect to play. But suddenly you're Knox Katem and you're out there facing not just to like, you know, a regular ACC team, but the Clemson Tigers, and he played admirably. And if the game got out of hand, it wasn't Knox Kadem's fault, right? I mean, 4-6, no. he managed the offense to whatever degree he could. At that point, the game was kind of out of reach anyway. You, you got to give the kid credit. But on the other side of this, Ricky, now you're Justin Fuente. You got to win this game against UVA. If for nothing else other than pride and to save face. You're preparing for, like you mentioned a night game in Blacksburg where it will be cold. And you have to balance the fact that Hendon hooker had this strange non injury related cold situation that pulled him out of the game. Braxton Burmeister's is going to be a little banged up.
1: How, how do you go about prepping for this? Well, they need to make sure Hendon's ready to go. Uh, Hendon is still QB one on this team, in my opinion. Um, if he isn't, then they'll have to roll with with Braxton Burmeister. I and mean, those are clearly the one and se- the first and second options. But I, it wouldn't shock me if Knox Kadum gets a few more practice reps this week because of the quarterback situation that they're facing. Um, Virginia's defense is. Beatable, but you don't want to go into it with a quarterback who's completely unprepared for, for the game plan. And that's basically what Knox Katem was against Clemson. He was completely unprepared. He had basically no training uh, for, for Clemson's defense uh, and props to him for, for not um, making an ass of himself. He actually, it was quite impressive given the situation. So I don't really know what this quarterback situation is going to look like. My guess would be that Hendon is going to start. I think they'll get all of this other stuff figured out. Um, I'm speculating, but my guess was that Hendon was not feeling all that great coming into the game. And um, the, the cold was making that significantly worse. Uh, It sounds like Braxton is going to be fine, but we'll have to wait and see. But it's certainly concerning, given that you're going into a game against Virginia where you need all hands on deck, and you aren't very confident in the health of your top two quarterbacks. I mean, overall, though, and
0: we'll get into this in much more depth in our preview podcast, but did the Clemson game move the needle for you at all one way or another insofar as your confidence in Virginia Tech's ability to beat UVA in the season finale? Um,
1: no, not really. The game went, if you exclude the way in which it happened, the game went the way we expected it. Right, Tech got blown out by 35. So, um, nothing was really shocking in that regard. The way in which it happened was kind of surprising, but eventually, you know, reason prevailed and Virginia Tech got their got their ass kicked. Virginia is obviously not Clemson. Virginia is is definitely beatable. Now the Hoos are on a four-game win streak, which is shocking given that they had lost four in a row directly before this. Um, Virginia definitely has some talent. Virginia's not going to be a walk in the park by any means. This game is basically a toss-up. You've got two underperforming teams with a lot of pride and a lot of ego on the line. Um, To me, this, this week means a whole hell of a lot more when it comes to Justin Fuentes' future than the Clemson game because the Clemson game was basically a foregone conclusion. All the things that Virginia Tech wanted to accomplish this year are off the list except beating Virginia. That's still on the list, and we'll, we'll get more into this later in the week when hopefully Mike gets back, but um, it, to me, this game means leaps and bounds more than what the Clemson game met in terms of whether or not Virginia Tech is going to move on from Justin Fuente on December 15th.
0: Yeah, and we'll definitely get into this more because I really wanna have the discussion with you guys, but maybe we'll save it for when we're all here. Can the Virginia game actually save Justin Fuente's job? I think that losing it certainly increases the chances of him losing his job, right? But at the end of the day, like, is the damage already done? That's a, that's a bigger in-depth situation, but yeah, the Clemson game
1: probably this is a tough one to review, Ricky. It's so it's so frustrating because Virginia Tech, like all season long, we've seen Virginia Tech put together like two quarters of good football or a quarter and a half of good football or even three and a half quarters of good football. But in the end, it they always seem to do just enough to lose. They, they fall short of what is necessary to win football games consistently, and um, that's, that's the most aggravating thing. It would be different if, if Tech was just vastly inferior to the people that they're playing, but they're not. Tech has some talent on this team. That, that's obvious, but they're not putting it together. They're, the coaching is not there. The team leadership, not just coaches but players, is not there. Uh, the synergy is not there they're not playing off of each other and complementing each other they're just out there playing and and I keep going back to this phrase but they are not greater than the sum of their parts they're less than and that's that's really really aggravating for fans because number one that's not what tech fans are used to tech fans are used to uh, kind of underrated, unheralded players coming together to create something that that is greater than their initial value. Uh, and they're also used to playing just smart football. And we all know that hard, smart, tough has been the, the moniker for Justin Fuente's program since he arrived. But um, there are plenty of things that go against that narrative from what we've seen. They have not played... Very smart football. They have not played hard all the time and they have not been tough consistently uh, in, in critical situations.
0: Yeah. And, and it's super frustrating because if you could just get everything in this team, like you said, playing complementary football and, and just some degree of synergy, I mean, the pieces are there insofar as there are some pieces. Yeah, I mean, Christian Dariusaw is one of the best players that Virginia Tech has ever had at any position. I mean, he, he yeah. is a first, maybe early second-round draft pick.
1: He has a and chance to go be Dwayne Brown. For, for, yeah. for, for younger Tech fans, Dwayne Brown, go look his ass up. He's a, a star, a Virginia Tech legend. If you don't know who Dwayne Brown is, then you need to go do some homework. But he yeah. has a chance to be Dwayne Brown. Like, um, there, there is some talent on this team, but – they're not, they're just not putting it together. They're playing, losing football. They're, they're exhibiting qualities of losing football teams.
0: A great similarity between Dwayne Brown and Christian Darisaw is that they were both like unheralded recruits who really developed at Virginia tech and left school as NFL draft picks who, you know, were some of the best in the country. And Dwayne Brown, he didn't even play with as good of an offensive line as Zarasaw is. But on the other side, I mean, Justin Fuente finally got his 1,000-yard rusher in a single season. That happened uh, against Clemson. Khalil
1: Herbert. How, how frustrating is it that it took Khalil Herbert this long to get to, get to a grand?
0: Injuries play into
1: it. Yes, but what also plays into it is this staff's inability to recognize what they've got. Like, I mean, there were just too many times earlier in the year where they went away from Khalil Herbert when they shouldn't have. And now that he's healthy, they obviously gave him the ball plenty of times in this game. He gets 21 carries for 96 yards and a touchdown. He, he had a relatively decent game against a pretty good defensive front. Um, we'll see if Khalil Herbert sticks around. We'll probably talk about that more once the season's over. Um, I saw that he was invited to the Shrine Bowl my guess is he is going to be on his way out, uh, which is a shame because I think tech fans would have loved to have watched him play in person. Yeah, certainly.
0: And one of the better running backs that Virginia tech has had. Do you know what the deal with Trey Turner is? It, because I heard he went out, he warmed up and then he didn't take I me. Mean, he didn't record a single catch.
1: Yeah. So, uh he, he dressed the, the plan for Trey going in was they were going to try and, get him through warmups and see if he could go apparently warmups was was not going very well so he did not take any reps in the you know the the, the team warm up portion uh, where they're actually you know running basic level plays and warmups in pregame so he was not ready to go i am 100% certain that he'll be playing against virginia he's been talking about this game for basically a year now on twitter he brought it up again today um, I'd be shocked if Trey Turner isn't on the field ready to, uh, ready to play against Virginia. He's been looking forward to this one. And that's another thing that I want to hit on the next podcast is, you know, how, what's the, the pride level like for a lot of these guys when it comes to playing Virginia? How many of them are going to be able to put aside what has happened this entire season, put aside the fact that their head coach may be on his way out, put aside that some of their assistant coaches may be let go, how are they going to be able to, to refocus and, and put all of their their attention towards Virginia, who embarrassed them last year um, by ending, ending the win streak?
0: We've seen in years past and, you know, notably in 2018 when the Hokies were four and six backs against the wall, UVA streak and bowl streak, both in jeopardy at the same time. And on a team that left a lot to be desired all throughout that season, it it was guys like Trey Turner in that game who who was just a freshman that came up big. So we have that to look forward to. And I'm actually really excited to talk about that one, breaking down a, you know, a, a 35 point loss is is difficult but as we go into this UVA game and in the, the grander questions that will emerge afterwards I think we're going to have a lot of really compelling content to go through even as this season comes to a less than satisfactory close
1: yeah it, it's been a rough year um, tech fans have obviously been at each other's throats for most of it this didn't start this year it started back in 2018 um, but one thing that Tech fans can't all agree on is they want to beat UVA. Uh, if there was anything that could bring this fan base together, even for a short moment, it would be beating Virginia next weekend. So this is a this is a moment that that Virginia Tech needs to take advantage of, and specifically Justin Fuente, he's got to coach the game of his life. Um, because his job might literally depend on it. I, I don't think that his job is going to depend on one game, but it's a whole hell of a lot easier to sell your vision if you beat Virginia and you show some signs of improvement in the, the, the season's final week uh, rather than going out there and losing to Virginia in back-to-back seasons. If that's the case, then it gets really hard to pitch your, your vision and your process moving forward. All right.
0: I think that's going to wrap it up for us. We will return on, you'll hear it on Thursday. We'll record it on Wednesday to preview the all important UVA game. Ricky, what do you got to say to the people before we go? Uh,
1: Go hit up Mike McDaniel on Twitter, ask him where the hell he is. Uh, Go bother him getting his mentions. Tell him he's a slacker. Rate, review, subscribe. Um, Make sure you're sharing the podcast with your friends, your buddies, Uh, that's definitely been the way we've been able to boost our following this season. It's been a great year for us for the pod. Um, I know we've had a ton of fun doing it, so please rate, review, subscribe, go listen to Andrew's radio show, go read my stuff at rickylaboo.com. Mike is available on every single medium in, in the planet. Uh, go find him there on Twitter after you berate him and his mentions, um, and try not to be too rude to your UVA friends this week. I know it's Hate Week. Uh, try to try to have some uh, some respect. Indeed,
0: indeed. As always, folks, thank you to Main Street Pharmacy for making this possible. Go rate, review, subscribe. We will be back. UVA, it's Hate Week, and trying to get that Commonwealth Cup back in Blacksburg.
1: Classy hate, folks. Classy hate. Yeah,
0: the rest of the checklist is uh, pretty much in the trash can now. But <laughs> Commonwealth Cup can still return. And I frankly am super excited for it. Even, even with everything down the drain, I'm still super pumped for an attempt to salvage something, anything out of this season. That has been uh, quite frankly, a huge disappointment. We'll be back until then go Hokies.